I'm John Edwards, the lute player and artistic director of The Musicians in Ordinary. You're hearing an excerpt from William Byrd's Mistress Mary Brownlow's Galliard, which is from a book of music for the virginals called Parthenia. And this is the first in a series of podcasts about that book with performances of music from it by keyboardist Louise Hung. The recordings of Louise's performances and this podcast are supported by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, York University, the Spem Inalium Fund of the Toronto Foundation, and individual donors. I spoke to Louise about the terminology of plucked string keyboard instruments, the harpsichord family, in the Elizabethan and Jacobean period, how they make their sound, the association of the virginals with young women in our period, and the techniques and fingering which they used and which Louise deploys to get the characteristic sprightly articulation in Mary Brownlow's Galliard and the spectacular passage work in The Prelude by Bird, both of which you'll hear at the end of our chat. Now, Louise, there's three names for the instrument you play. Um, anybody who's seen The Four Seasons or Handel's Messiah or any Bach or anything in a concert uh, will have seen the one that's sort of best known, the best known name, uh, which is harpsichord. So why don't you just describe the appearance of a harpsichord uh, since that's the one that people are most likely to have seen? I think in terms of a harpsichord, its appearance is basically quite close to a piano in theory. It's triangular. Um, It doesn't have the curves of a piano, but if you were sitting at the keyboard of a harpsichord, the strings would be running away from you, basically straight out in front of you. And uh, the plucking mechanism is basically a simple lever where you have the one side of the lever is where you push down to make a sound on the keyboard and then the other end uh, comes up and hits a piece of wood with a plectrum on it and that jumps up and plucks the string. What's that plectrum made out of typically? Um, Nowadays it's made out of different kinds of plastic basically but originally it was goose quill. Mm -hmm. So it's a plucking mechanism rather than a piano. Piano is a hammer and um... You just said there was a simple lever that it um, that moves the plucking mechanism, whereas on a piano there's I think it's a dozen or more pieces of machinery that are between your action and the string. Yes. Tell us next what a spinet is. So a spinet, uh, in modern sense of what we refer to as a spinet is very similar to a harpsichord but instead of the strings running directly straight in front of the keyboard they uh, are put at an oblique angle and the bass strings end up more or less so behind you could say on an angle from the the higher strings so they're diagonally across yes but it still has the same plucking mechanism it's still plucked in the same way Uh, What would we mean when we say uh, virginals, which we'll hear a lot more about in this episode? So for virginals, you could say that the spinet is kind of in between the harpsichord and virginal Mm -hmm. in terms of the direction the strings are going, whereas harpsichord is 
straight in front and the spinet is diagonally the virginal the strings run parallel to parallel to your chest yes parallel to the player's chest and the plucking mechanism is still the same basically but since the strings are oriented parallel the plucking mechanism the place of pluck (laughs) the plucking point i should say (laughs) um piece of piper is much uh, further away from the bridge and therefore the sound is different from a harpsichord whereas a harpsichord sound um, often is more of a you could say like a ting like sound mm-hmm. the uh, virginalists sound much fuller like a bong sort of sound <laughs> yeah when you um, when I pluck uh, any instrument if, you, if somebody plays a plucked stringed instrument if you pluck closer to the bridge you get a sort of more tinny sound a brighter sound so it's so and you're saying that the the virginals it's plucked more towards the center of the yes, string is that what you're saying rounder sound so you you've said in the modern sense and uh, what we use to use these words for what in uh, england in the uh, elizabethan and jacobean period what would they mean when they said virginal or virginals so what they meant back then in England was basically any plucked keyboard instrument. So all three of the instruments we spoke about before, all of those would have been under the umbrella term of virginals or virginal. And it becomes quite confusing, actually, also because in the other countries, they also use different terms for different instruments Mm -hmm. and often terms overlap. So you have the same name being used for different instruments in different places in different languages but on a i guess the most kind of straightforward simpler way of looking at it is just in england virginal just means any plucky keyboard instrument so we we nowadays in english will use these different things to for these different words for different categories of plucked keyboard instruments uh, but they in england in 1600 just meant anything that wasn't an organ yes um, or wasn't uh, a clavichord which is actually, that instrument is the predecessor of the piano because it's a hitting, or hammer mechanism, I should say. So the instrument that you're playing on this set is a, a pentagonal virginal. You'll see a picture of it on the website, made by uh, Matthew Redsell. And it's a copy of an original in the Royal Ontario Museum, made by, by a Giovanni or Johannes de Pertisis. And it's from, the original is from the middle of the 1600s. He was from the Low Countries, but worked in Florence. And uh, I've got a Baroque guitar that was made in Italy by a German. I've got a lute that was made in Germany and ended up in England. Um, Instruments and builders got around in those days. Tell us about the centers of um, virginal and keyboard instrument making in our period so for virginals particularly or even plucked instruments in general antwerp was the center of um building and in fact if you see paintings from that period of time uh there's a wealth of uh, paintings from antwerp where you have uh scenes of women particularly playing virginals and um it's a testament to probably how common it was for people to play them there, but also as a, a way to advertise their instrument making to the rest of Europe. They made 
both uh, pentagonal instruments there, but also rectangular ones. Um, the rectangular virginals, those uh, actually are the only types of virginals that we still have left from England during that time. But in Flanders, they not only made uh, virginals with keyboards at the center, they also had keyboards that were a little more on the right side of the instrument and also a little more on the left side and that would produce different timbres of sound because again the place where the plucking happens um, changes mm. depending on where the keyboard is so for the ones that had um, keyboards that were set more towards the right those were called uh, musilars and um, they had a much sweeter sound um, they thought the especially the higher register ended up often mm -hmm. sounding quite like um, like flutes that's a stretch of the imagination but go on <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and uh the ones that had the keyboard set more towards the left were called spinets which again mm. is a confusion in kind of the term yeah, the again is that spinet in uh in the modern sense means a, a totally different kind of mm -hmm. instrument i've even seen uh, a picture of an instrument that has two keyboards on yes so those are very modular I think they're called chick, oh, the hen and the chick, or kind of mother and the chick. Oh, that I sign, see. Sort yeah, of yeah. name. You have a basically a normal size virginal with the keyboard set either on the right or left, and then you have a teeny one, which is an octave higher, uh, that fits into whichever side the oh. keyboard isn't on the big one, and that smaller one can be taken out to practice on separately. And you could also put it on top of the jacks of the larger virginal and in lining them up exactly so when you play the lower manual of the virginal in this case. So now you have two so levels. You, can, oh, well, you would yeah. have two sets of strings to Well, play. we won't be, let's not get bogged down in that. Nobody's going to be hearing those. But it just goes to show you they were certainly innovating uh, with these instruments at the time, but once again, you're seeing you're seeing this confusion about the new the names. But these instruments, the music is all largely interchangeable. Yes, it's not like anybody is specifically writing for a musilar, and this can't be played on that. No. Now uh, this book uh, is called Parthenia or the Maidenhead, but a few years later, there's a book, another book of different keyboard music in duets with viols called Parthenia in violata and it's got a picture of a one one of those big triangular harpsichords this one parthenia or the maidenhead that we're hearing music from today has a picture of a attractive young woman beautifully engraved with her hair hanging down uh in, to signify that she's a virgin still and she's playing on one of these it looks like a rectangular instrument that she's playing on the instrument that's shown there on the title page, if you look closely, you can see that the lid is vaulted, which was specifically um, an English trait for their virginals. Uh, on the outside, when the virgin English virginals were closed up, in fact, they almost looked like trunks because of the vaulted mm -hmm. lid. And also there wasn't any fancy outer decoration other than the metal work for the buckles and the hinges but once opening it up then often the inside was very beautifully decorated with 
paper or embossing and painting on the soundboard. Mm -hmm. When you see Dutch paintings of this period and there's a young woman playing the virginals, they're very often very beautiful paintings on the inside of the lid. Yes, and particularly for the Dutch, the paper that they used was uh, usually beautifully detailed and that was what was pasted often all over the harpsichord. Oh, sorry, the virginal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And even though... The picture, uh, the title page shows uh, an English virginal. Uh, there were also plenty of Flemish instruments in England, especially in the court of Henry VIII, and also that carries on to Queen Elizabeth I. Um, Henry VIII had uh, his keeper of instruments was Flemish, so uh, quite a few Flemish instruments made their yeah, way over. Yeah, and, and Queen Elizabeth, uh, this picture reminds me of the uh, coronation portrait of uh, Queen Elizabeth that uh, is easy to find uh, on the internet if we don't have it on our webpage. And she's sort of looking straight at the camera. Uh, the young woman in the on the title page here has got her eyes closed and is looking off to the side. But they were wearing very similar outfits and certainly their hair is done in a very similar way. Um, Queen Elizabeth, of course, famously was the Virgin Queen, and this instrument is called the Virginals. Uh, Obviously, from its name, you would think that it was closely associated with young women. Well, Elizabeth I remained a young woman, even well into her 60s, I think. So uh, I understand you've got some information about for us about that, about young women playing the Virginals. The virginal was the instrument for young women, not just in England, but also all over Europe. It was an instrument that was considered proper since you wouldn't have to contort your face as you would if you played a wind instrument or brass instrument or uh, contort your body like you would have to if you played a violin, for example, particularly with viols. It depended on where the instrument sat. There, mm-hmm. most viols were uh, taught to um, to young women, but the viola da gamba it was iffy. And learning music was a very important part of basically courtship rituals, and also preparing a young woman to be married, to be worth more on the marriage market per se. Most English families earlier on in the 16th century, particularly affluent commoner households, were not as invested in keyboard music for their daughters. But as the century goes on more and more, these families were having their daughters learn keyboard. And it became basically a marker of being able to marry above your station. Uh, on one of our um, previous uh, podcasts, uh, George Torres talked about uh, Mary Burrell's lute tutor from the middle of the 17th century and how that fit together with comportment manuals. When you play the lute, you've got to sit with good posture and your hands can't be tense or uh, contorted in any way and you don't want to be making funny faces. So the, the, uh, this idea of comportment for a young woman in this case was assisted by her lute lessons. Is there something similar you uh, in um, that you can tell us about keyboard instruments and comportment? Uh, yes, Richard Mulcaster, the headmaster of the Merchant Taylor School and St. Paul School in London, said that young women needed to uh, read well, write fair, sing sweet, and play fine. And um, it's also in uh, this. 
textbook basically for for bringing up young young ladies. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. the French Garden uh, for English ladies and gentlewomen to walk in or a summer day's labor. It's mentioned that out of almost an entire day of learning for young women, almost over half of it was dedicated to music, and that mm-hmm. included singing, playing the virginals, and also playing lute. Mm-hmm. and viola da gamba and in those days if you were a lute teacher if you were teaching somebody lute it was basically watching them practice every day yes it wasn't like you got your your half an hour a week at the uh, piano studio like it is now you were there every day teaching them how to uh, play the uh, virginals or play the lute and for affluent commoner families you would have the teacher visit mm-hmm. probably every day but if you were belong to aristocratic family your music teacher would live in your household musicians yeah yes Mm -hmm. and there's nobody more aristocratic and had more uh, household musicians than uh, queen elizabeth um tell us about her uh, virginal playing uh queen elizabeth was educated in virginal playing as a, a princess and she continued to play throughout her life There's a record of when Sir James Melville, who was an emissary from Scotland, um, visited the English court. And after dinner, Queen Elizabeth specifically arranged that he would, on happenstance, come across her playing the virginals. Um, But as soon as she played a little while and she noticed him listening then she stopped of course and and left oh so it was a staged (laughs) it was a staged overhearing yes (laughs) and that was very much something that is kind of juxtaposed in the attitude towards young women playing virginals because it was expected that they could play it very well but they were not allowed to perform publicly or technically really have any young men outside their family listen to them play there's a famous uh, one of shakespeare's sonnets is um, kind of a bit sexy a uh, young man um hears her his beloved playing the virginals and wishes that he could kiss the inside of her fingertips in the same way that the, the saucy jacks could yeah it, music was for young women particularly it was considered as a personal way of um, finding spiritual comfort in a very personal and intimate setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it was used for something that was, I suppose, social. If you were a suitor, you'd have to get invited into that secret place where you can hear yes. her play. It's You're really becoming, it's really a sign of intimacy. Yes. Um, let me, for our listeners, read the whole very extravagant Uh, title page here Parthenia or the maidenhead of the first music that was ever printed for the virginals composed by three famous masters William Byrd Dr. John Bull and Orlando Gibbons gentlemen of his majesty's most illustrious chapel engraven by William Hole Let's come back to that in uh, in a minute, but let me read the, the dedication first. Uh, to the high and mighty and magnificent Prince Frederick Elector Palatine of the Rhine and his betrothed lady, Elizabeth, the only daughter of my lord, the king, that is King James the first and sixth. So it's uh, got a pretty illustrious um, dedication there. 
uh, tell us uh, about uh, Princess Elizabeth, Elizabeth Stewart, and her uh, keyboard playing. So even though it's dedicated both to Frederick and Elizabeth, most likely that it was really meant for Elizabeth since she was the one who was very talented at playing uh, keyboards. And also one of the composers, one of the three composers, John Bull, was her original teacher. And in the uh, records, there exists um, a note that mentions that to Dr. Bull that teaches, teacheth her grace on the virginals for a fee, 20 pounds. And then... Uh, That's quite a lot of money because yes. John Dowland, when he was working for James I, Dowland got 40 pounds a year. So getting 20 pounds for teaching a few lessons, pretty good deal. Yes, and then there's a Walter Tucker that uh, who played while she was dancing and he, his fee was 10 pounds. And also there was uh, somebody getting paid a couple of pence to tune her instrument. That's, uh, well, 20 pounds a year to uh, sixpence for tuning is a big jump. There's no doubt about that. I hope he had some other work on the side. And uh, I, when, I, when I just read the title page, it, I, there was, there's no date on this book. What do people think we can learn about that? Um, because it was dedicated to Frederick and Elizabeth for their marriage... We assume it's published in six between 1612 and 1613. Mm-hmm. We've heard quite a lot about uh, Elizabeth and Frederick's wedding celebrations already, uh, p- particularly in the episode uh, you can scroll back to, uh, where I talked to Stephen Orgel about all the masks and the um, performance of The Tempest, Shakespeare's Tempest, that were done during that week that they were getting married. But this here we have another, as well as all those masks and The Tempest and everything, Another artifact from that uh, illustrious wedding. Now, I just read out from the title page that this book is engraven and uh, mentioned how beautiful the young woman's depicted on the uh, title page. Tell us about the new engraving method of uh, printing music. One can, I guess, surmise since this was the very first publication of keyboard music in England, they really didn't spare any expense and they had the entire book printed using engraved plates, which was a lot more time consuming and also expensive compared to movable type, uh, which was used often for music. Uh, However, that movable type takes a lot more skill uh, to print well and it's not easy to reprint because all the little types that you use basically get reset after mm-hmm. whereas with the engraved plates you have these plates that you can reuse over and over for reprints which they did the year so after. yeah so with uh, with uh, movable type it's you know, like letters you pull um the the uh, a note c where with it's got the lines on and it looks kind of splodgy it's, it, it, it looks kind of splodgy because the lines don't always line up but this is beautiful well i have a picture of this on there as well uh, beautiful lines scraped by William Hole into uh, copper plate backwards, um, and uh, it's uh, it's beautiful uh, publication. Very and as you say, it looks very elegant. Um, so the pieces you're going to play for us are Mistress Mary Brownlow's Gallier. Tell us about Mary Brownlow. Mary Brownlow was the daughter of Sir Richard Brownlow, who was the chief clerk in London Civil Court. And her teacher was not John Bull, 
but it was William Byrd. Um, this was a, a interesting matchup between the two of them since Byrd, for most of his life, associated much closer with Catholic families, um, since he was a very staunch Catholic throughout his life, but uh, Miss Mary Brownlow belonged to a Protestant family, and they live relatively close in London, so even though there aren't specifically explicit material that tells us that for sure he was her teacher since they live close and also he was the one who wrote the Miss mm-hmm. Mary Brownlow Galliard. Uh, tell us what a Galliard is. Um, a Galliard is a very jumpy, upbeat dance often mm-hmm. with syncopations and it often plays around with uh, timing. Queen Elizabeth uh, danced uh, Galliards every morning for exercise. Very good. Uh, a lot of jumping. Uh, so the other piece we'll hear is um, a prelude by William Byrd. And uh, our listeners will hear right off the bat that there's lots of spectacular passage work. Um, I understand your fingering on this instrument differs a great deal from modern piano fingering that every child learns in their Suzuki piano method. Tell us about the fingering and how that affects how the sound comes out. So if comparing to modern piano fingering where the thumb is used, utilized a lot to create a long, fluid, connected line, basically for historical fingering, the thumb does not play that role at all. Uh, in modern piano fingering, the thumb is tucked under to smoothly get from one group of notes to the other so you don't hear a break at all. Whereas historical fingering you often group notes into groups and when you reach a point where you run out of fingers instead of using your thumb you would cross an adjacent finger over so for example uh, if going up by step you could use four three four three four you're three. Actually, you're you're going you're crossing your middle finger you're, you're doing this i should report that louise is doing this on the palm of her hand and her middle finger is crossing over her ring finger on her right hand to demonstrate how you take those passages just by crossing these fingers and that sort of groups them together in pairs more i would imagine yes. than doing all four fingers and then crossing your thumb over um as you uh, greasily slide up the keyboard in your chopin prelude <laughs> i would say it creates a more interesting i guess topography in a sense since there's no dynamics on any of these keyboards so mm-hmm. for interest you need to group the notes and articulate the notes um, in certain ways uh, that perhaps on modern piano you would use dynamics for. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in in saying that, though, you can still get quite a smooth feel even without the use of the thumb. It just takes, takes practice. <laughs> Not like so many things. Well, let's hear how those articulations all work out uh, in this uh, bird prelude. That was Louise Hung, performer on the virginals and other early keyboard instruments, in conversation with me, John Edwards. Check musiciansinordinary.ca for Louise's bio and the pictures we talked about. Subscribe to our podcast for more music and poetry of the 16th and 17th century and more chat about it. And if you would like to help support these podcasts, please go to canadahelps.org and search for us there, or to musiciansinordinary.ca and click through the link. Now let's hear Louise's recording, produced by Matthew Antal, 
of William Byrd's Preludium and Galliardo, Mistress Mary Brownlow from Parthenia. <laughs>